0: Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we get to study your word. Thank you for 2 Corinthians. Thank you for all that we have learned so far um, from the first chapter of this book and first three sessions of this book. I thank you that we're able to take one step further into your word. And I pray that even as we study As a community, I pray that there is clarity. I pray that the truth of your word shines through in our hearts. I pray that we're able to understand all that we read and ultimately we're able to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Everyone, regardless of whatever time you're joining from, welcome to Journey Through Second Corinthians Part 4. So we've taken... Three chapters or three weeks on chapter one. Um, And that should tell a lot about what we're set to cover in this book. But hopefully that's not the pace because if that's the pace, then we're going to take 39 weeks for (laughs) for the entire book, which is almost more than half of the year. But I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But uh, (laughs) today we're starting from chapter two. We finally made it to chapter two. My goal is that we wrap up chapter 2 today. Um, But if you've been here long enough, you know that only God knows how far we would go today. (laughs) Um, So just I'm just going to give a little uh, clarity again, a reminder on the historical context surrounding 2 Corinthians. And then we'll start chapter 2. And the reason I'm doing that is because it would help put some of these verses together so if you remember the very first um journey through second corinthians so journey through second corinthians part 1 um we we oh, I mentioned the fact that at least it's still something that's being debated and discussed but the general idea is that first corinthians is most definitely not the very first letter to the corinthian church and more people than not seem to agree that second corinthians is also not the second not even the third letter to the corinthian church and what i want to do is give some kind of timeline on probably how things proceeded so that it once again helps you understand what is going on but first let me drink water All right so what we said in the very first teaching was that okay paul first of all visited the people at corinth you can see that in acts 18 acts 18 right so take note of that that's when he first went to the people of corinth and then you might think oh he left and then he wrote first corinthians but from first corinthians 5 verse 9 first corinthians 5 verse 9 paul said i wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people and so there's the idea that after paul left the corinthian church before he wrote first corinthians that we have as first corinthians there was an earlier letter that he had written to them right so there was a maybe zero Corinth for those that program right things start at zero not at one <laughs> um maybe he wrote a zero corinthians and then this is first corinthians that we have which is technically second corinthians and then um there's the idea that he visited them so before what we're reading as second corinthians which is after the first two letters there's an idea that he went to visit them in person he did say that in First Corinthians, right? Remember 1 Corinthians 11? He says, More things I would set in order when I come, right? And so he did come. We see it in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1. It says, I was determined, I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Of course, that can't be his first visit. It wasn't in sorrow, meaning there was a visit in between that he came to in sorrow. Not only that, I believe 2 Corinthians 13, um, verse 2, that I have told you before and foretell as if I was present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. If I come yet again, I will not spare. And so there's that idea that, okay, Paul has come, to; he was able to visit Corinth. And it wasn't the most pleasant visit. It seems as though that visit was marked with a lot of rebuke, a lot of restructuring, a lot of order to the church. And from what we have read last week, right, that's what he was saying, that I didn't come yet again because I didn't want it to be for sorrow. So I'm writing this letter as a, as a means to go ahead of me, calm everybody down, and then I will come again. So now, where people are then torn or where theologians debate or flip from one side to the other is that somewhere between 1 Corinthians and Second Corinthians, we know that there was a visit. But it seems as though there was also a letter, which in quote to be 3 Corinthians, right? We see some of that in 2 Corinthians 7 from verse 6 to 8. 2 Corinthians 7 from verse 6 to 8. It says... Um, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us with the coming of Titus and not just by his coming but also by the consolation with which he comforted me and you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more for even if I made you sorry with my letter I do not regret it though I did regret it For I perceive that the same episode made you sorry, though for a while. Now, some will argue, it's the same thing in 2 Corinthians 2, that it says uh, in verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you should know the love I have so abundantly for you. And so many people would argue that that state of mind, of grief and sorrow and pain doesn't fit the tone of 1st Corinthians right we've gone through 1st Corinthians we are there for a while it was more instructive it was more corrective nothing in the letter necessarily seemed even half as jarring as Galatians so Galatians the letter to the Galatians would have been a painful letter oh foolish Galatians I feel like I'm starting all over again who has bewitched you right didn't you all of you can see the emotion and the pain as he writes to the Galatian church corinthians doesn't necessarily feel that of course sometimes he's disappointed in them for instance in the lord's supper or with their tolerance of the guy that's sleeping with his father's wife right and he scolds them but it doesn't seem to be a painful letter written in anguish written in affliction as he describes in chapter 2 and chapter 7 and so for that reason more people than not will argue that there was (laughs) there was um both a painful visit and a painful letter we're not sure which came first right and so that would be the third letter to the corinthian church before he then writes the what we have as Second Corinthians, which technically is probably Fourth Corinthians um, on his way to visit them. And we can read in Acts 20, he did come, like he said he would, to visit them, to gather money for the church in Jerusalem and to head out. Right. I'm saying all of that because so that when we read some of these verses, or when you read some of the things about Paul saying painful visits and um, the pain and all of that, you might you shouldn't necessarily, right? I'm not, again, like I said, these are things that are debated. For some people, they would make a case why after First Corinthians was Second Corinthians, and they might be right, right? I don't know for sure. I'm not a historian. Neither am I an, a, 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 an established theologian <laughs> in that sense. I'm simply anyways, I would not say more than that but I lean more towards the evidence or the research that suggests that there was a painful visit for sure but also a painful or a severe letter written in between and most other um, theologians would lean towards that interpretation and I'm going to I'm explaining all this so that when we talk about the sinner to forgive in verses five or the painful letters or the painful visits, It makes a bit more sense, all right? Are we good? So that is why, again, if you remember what we talked about last week, the idea was, Paul is, I didn't come not because my yes is not yes, my no is not no, I'm fickle, I don't stick to my word. I didn't come because I didn't want it to be yet another painful occurrence. I wanted to send this letter to calm things down so that when I come, we can have a good time. And I gave the analogy of your mom or that partner or that friend. Your fight and things are not normal. You know things are weird. And everyone has that thing they do. Let's say for your friend is like, ah guy, let's go eat. No apology. But you know that's their way of making things come back to normal. Or let's say, even after the apology, things are weird. And you just need something to break the ice to restore things to how they once were. For our parents, is ah, uh, let me, co- what do you want to eat? That was the magic word. After they've beaten you, let's say they realized they, sh- they were too angry. Instead of saying sorry, it's like, ah, my child, well, yeah, what do you want to eat? And they rub your head. That's their way of, of appealing to us. Please don't do that when you grow up. Learn to say sorry. <laughs> don't, don't rub your child's head and say, what do you want me to buy for you? It's a very bad habit. But anyways, um, that's the idea. Paul is sending a letter to make it clear that I'm not angry at you all anymore. I I admire how you've responded. I see the changes you've made. And when I come, I want it to be for the better. That's, that's Second Corinthians in a nutshell. For those that weren't here in the first teaching or can't remember some of the things we talked about. So with all that context in view, let's jump into chapter two as we explore more of what Paul has to tell The Corinthian church, perhaps for the fourth time. All right. So, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1. If you haven't already, bring out your Bibles, your writing materials, your notepads. As usual, I'm reading from the New King James Version after I drink water. (laughs) All right. Verse 1. It says, But I determined this within myself. that I would not come again to you in sorrow. We've talked about that. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Again, it's what I said, everyone can understand this. If you are sad, who would make me happy? I want to have a good time with you, right? Even though, yes, you did something wrong, I rebuked you, I corrected you, but if you are still sad, I won't be able to have a good time with you guys. And this this points out something very important. I'm going to highlight it later in this chapter, but it talks about the atmosphere of Christian community or even the atmosphere of a Christian in general, right? Yes, there is rebuke. Yes, there is correction. Yes, there is discipline. Yes, there are moments of tears. There are moments where God (laughs) reviews, how much you've been slacking off and it's like, oh, wow, God, I'm sorry. But by and large, we're not called to stay there. Christianity ought to be a place of joy, right? Paul would say that, I'm writing for your progress, that I might continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Yes, you've messed up. You've realized that you've picked yourself up. Let's go back to our joyful work with the Lord. And it says something about that state of condemnation. For some of you, you probably did something, you said something you're so, and it just felt like right after that moment. You've just been condemned. Every time is a, mom, is a moment of sadness. So you would call it sober reflection and you're just sad. It feels as though God is taking his time. As it's like that friend that you've offended and it takes like 2-3 months for things to get back to normal. I want to let you know that that's not God. That's not God. That's not God. That idea of, of uh, I don't know if God is angry, he's still angry at me. Who do you think God is? He's not your petty, uh, your petty partner or your petty friend that would say, ah, but you did this. And then it's taking a while. No, no, no. The moment God sees genuine repentance, he restores and he expects the relationship to continue that way. And so I remember, I'm saying this because Even for some of us, we enjoy enjoy that feeling of rebuke and sadness and weeping. And there's a place for that. Like I've said, we're going to see that as well. When we get to 2 Corinthians 4, 5, there's a place for that. I think God is not processing it. But I remember then um, when I was much younger and I just started to teach um, the Bible, I usually enjoyed when people cried at my teaching. I was that guy that if i teach you about the gospel and i i don't blame but it was a product of influence the people i was listening to at that time and i would challenge i'm like how can you live for god and be doing this don't you know god and you would just be crying It's like oh my god (laughs) you could never do anything right um and there was a good sense because then in school hardly anywhere was the true gospel being taught and so there was a context in which we at least for those of us that were teaching at that time there was a sense of duty to call out the prosperity gospel for what it was to call out convenient christianity for what it was and that definitely played into the tone of our teachings but it was something i enjoyed like i enjoyed seeing people and maybe i have to reflect on it was it bad was it wrong with i don't know but I really enjoyed when people were deeply moved emotionally by my sermons. And so I preferred that to joy. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I did. And for some for some preachers, it's something that they become addicted to. It's like, ah, if you want me to to shake up your congregation, just call me. My point is simple: there is a place for correction. There is a place where God calls you out. I remember, I think it was. Was it last year December? So I was at a prayer meeting, and God scolded me. Like I wrote it down. I said, "Wow, Daniel, you are not doing well," and it it was not that friendly. Ah, God is my Father. Yay, glory! Um, time that you have with God, and it, it was it was a time of sober reflection, a time of rebuke, and it was necessary. But it, it's, that's not that's not what it's going to characterize. Every moment of your Christian walk, God is telling you what you are doing wrong. I don't think it's God you're praying to. I think you've allowed your conscience get so magnified that it's constantly beating you down whenever you stand before God. And so, even Paul is saying this, that I've come to you in sorrow. Of course, I needed to. I'm not happy it happened, but it was necessary. But now let's you've you've learned you've repented let's move on from that such that the next time i come we can actually celebrate we can actually have a good time together and so the point there is our christian walk by and large should be marked by joy should be marked by by intimacy joy in the holy ghost right righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost in the holy ghost amen so he says if i make you sorrowful who is he that makes me glad but the one that is made sorrowful by me and i wrote this very thing to you lest when i came i should have sorrow over those from whom i ought to have joy having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all so it's the same thing right I wrote to you. I think other translations um, would say, I wrote as I did, referring to the previous letter, right? That when you, so that when I come, you will not be distressed by those that ought to make me rejoice. That if I'm happy, oh yes, that's the NIV. Thank you, Delight. If I'm happy, y'all are happy. The NLT says the same thing. This is why I wrote to you as I did. This sirs her prayer. So that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. So we've dealt with it. You've repented. You've, you've, you've learned. You've corrected yourself. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's not stay in that Say, Oh, no. Let's just wait here a little longer. We're not waiting here a little longer. Let's move on. <laughs> right learn to move on dear believer you've messed up you've realized you've messed up god has forgiven you learn to move on god is not counting your sins against you please don't count it against yourself and we're going to talk about how this applies to other people because some of us who are evil <laughs> that there's no other way to put it you hold their floor you say 2020 that is what you did Ah. Uh-uh. If God treated you like that, you will be guilty every time because you do things that three years ago you said you would not do. So no, 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 no. In the face of genuine repentance, please, let's move on. In verse four, he says it again, for out of much anguish and affliction of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved but that you should know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And it's still the same mindset. So a lot of today's topic or teaching or chapter will be talked about, will be spent talking about how we handle correction, how we give correction, how we receive, how we relate with correction, right? And that's the idea that I wrote this out of love. When God corrects, The goal is not to cause us to grieve indefinitely. The goal is out of love. What you just did is not good for you. I love you. Therefore, I'm letting you know that it's wrong. And so there's the other extreme, right? We've talked about one extreme where you're just dwelling in sorrow, dwelling in all the things you've you've done wrong. Every moment with God is a time begging for mercy. And God is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you somehow now more conscious of sin than I am? That can be God. But then there's the other extreme where nothing you do really matters as far as your devotion is concerned. You lied, you slept, you overslept, you haven't prayed in three days, but you just come straight into the presence of God in quote because everything is new every morning, <laughs> right? I say, God, I come before you are new. <laughs> And nothing you do, nothing in your conduct actually causes you to reflect. The Spirit of God in you does not hold you accountable for anything you do because why? God loves you. That is also a huge extreme. On one extreme, you've allowed the devil to to magnify your consciousness of sin more than God does. But on the other extreme, you've allowed the devil so dead in your conscience that you don't react as you should you mess up you say, ah, after all i'm only human that's why there's grace that's a slippery slope paul said it that should we continue in sin so that god's grace will be seen more and more that the more i mess up the god the more opportunities god gets to forgive me with god it might seem like eh, it's fine if you did that with any other that's a toxic relationship that's like saying, oh, my friend who is a generous guy. So, do I keep asking for money and money and money? Just because I know it's generous. You're abusive. You're taking advantage of the person. Oh, my partner. She's a very forgiving, understanding. That's the word. We like understanding people. And so, you keep taking advantage, taking advantage, taking advantage. You don't love that person. You are actually an abuser. You are a thief. <laughs> and so let's don't don't fall into that say yes god is rich in mercy his mercy never ends abundant as far as the earth is from the sky the east is from the west we know that good stuff we love to sing that good stuff but never get to a point where the spirit of god does not hold you accountable oh you said you were going to pray you didn't pray you just sleep and wake up like like nothing has happened (laughs) It should bother you. Ah, I didn't keep to my word. I was I was supposed to pray last night, and so it is learning to find that balance in which the spirit of God holds us accountable for our actions, but we are never grieving more than we ought to. We are not holding ourselves to sins and to actions that the spirit of God has already long forgiven us for. Because if you are staying there, it may feel nice. To beat yourself down, say Daniel, you should not have done, you should not have done, and you're just sad. You're, it might feel very spiritual, it might feel very sacred, but God has moved on. <laughs> you're actually staying in the same. You've not, moved, you've not made progress because after a realization of wrong is repentance, and after that, and we're going to talk about that, just a change of mind. Of course, if you knew what you did was wrong, then perhaps it's not repentance is not even the word. It's an acknowledging that what you did was wrong then you take steps not to repeat it by the Spirit of God and you move on and you move on and you move on. Yes, there is a time for rebuke, a time for correction, but our faith ultimately is marked by joy. So stand up and let's keep moving. All right, let's keep moving. Verse five, verse five. Well, you see, we might actually finish chapter two today glory to God. (laughs) It says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. That punishment which was inflicted, verse 6, by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow so it's the same idea first of all between paul and the corinthian church it's the same idea of forgiveness and rebuke and moving on now with the corinthian church and a certain member of the church that was rebuked by the church it's the same idea yet again and so the same way people have discussions that. There was perhaps a letter in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. There was a visit in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's the same way people argue or people discuss. Because some people think arguments are always bad. People discuss or debate who this person is referring to. Now, most people that believe that 1st Corinthians comes right before this will believe that the guy referred to here is the same guy in chapter five of First Corinthians? Do you remember that brother, our our famous guy, that that guy exactly that guy that was was proud to sleep with his father's wife. He didn't even care. <laughs> he did not even. He's like, I don't really care what you guys think. I find this woman attractive. I will sleep with. And he was, he, he wasn't even hidden, right? And so Paul spent time talking about how can you as a church let this is even unbelievers don't do what this guy is doing right and then we we talked a lot then if you if you want to remember you could go back to our teaching in first corinthians chapter five um the idea of excommunication and i'm going to talk a bit about that now but excommunication and how the church should respond to conscious continuous sin because More than anything, that is the biggest indicator that you perhaps might not be saved. How can you, a believer? (laughs) How can you, a believer, continue in control? You know what you're doing is wrong. You're not sad about it's not an addiction. It's not something you're struggling to stop. It's something you enjoy continually. Are you really saved? And so Paul is like, not only I mean, he says this guy he has issues clearly. But as a church, you are accommodating such a behavior. And he condemns them for that. And so a lot of people that believe, a lot of people will believe that this is the same guy that Paul is referring to because the idea seems to fit, right? He grieved the whole church. Don't cause him too much sorrow. Receive him. And then there's another camp, right? That lean more towards we don't know who this guy is. And it. it, perhaps might not even be the guy in first corinthians i'm going to get to my conclusion on with either stance because as always my conclusion is it doesn't really matter much who he is because the context and the application doesn't necessarily change the interpretation may have been lost over the thousands of years this letter was written but the application is very much the same whichever guy it is and so for most people that believe that there was a letter written and a visit between first and second corinthians the idea if you read first corinthians and as we go on to read second corinthians of course people had risen up in the church that were disputing paul's authority like oh, who is this poor guy that he just he writes he can talk big but he never really does anything All bark and no teeth we have those who say if i fight you if i fight you they will never never in their lives join because they know they will beat them up but they can talk i'm sure we had those people in secondary school they can talk, they can insult. but once it's, once things get physical, they will run away. they just know how to avoid. And to people like that is Paul. He just knows how to to scold over letters. he can write big. When he comes he's timid, he's small, he doesn't even have great eloquence. Who really is this Paul of a person? And there were people in the church actively sowing dissension, actively trying to to break the church away. From, from from Paul's authority over them as an apostle. We're going to see that at length in the book of Second Corinthians. And so people that hold to the position of a painful visit in between both books will tell you that this perhaps more likely refers to someone in the church who, who caused issues in the church and was a key part of whatever rebellion or whatever made Paul's visit very painful. Because a huge part of Paul's visit was setting apostolic order rebuking people correcting excommunicating all of that right it was a very very serious event and so the idea here is that this refers to perhaps maybe the leader of that rebellion someone who was actively trying to reduce the impact of Paul's ministry in the Corinthian church that's what they that's the other side of the camp um so two things like I said number one I lean more towards it's not it's perhaps not the first the same guy as first Corinthians just because of the space of time in between first and second. I feel that whoever it was in first Corinthians would have probably been dealt with by now. Um, especially after reading first Corinthians and then there was still a visit and there was still a letter before this letter. So maybe this guy is a fresh incident that happened when he visited them in person. Again, the reason it doesn't matter to me is because I, we don't know for sure because we don't have enough information, but also because it doesn't matter. Why do I say it doesn't matter who he is? The idea is the same. I mean, the silhouette of both the First Corinthians guy and whoever this sinner is, it's the same. How so? Number one, he's someone whose actions has caused the church a lot of grief. Both the guy in First Corinthians and whoever this person is, if it's the same guy, if it's not, it's the same idea. Through their actions of rebellion and of, of sin, they've, they've grieved the church. Not only that, the second reason it doesn't matter is the punishment was the same. So the guy in First Corinthians, Paul says what? A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. As a church, we are not to stand by idly and allow anybody who claims to be a believer to live a life of conscious, continual sin. And Paul is saying the best response to this is what? Kick them out of the church. It's the same thing that happened here from the context it seems as though that the, the response to the church whatever punishment was inflicted on him was rebuke was 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 excommunication or for my john wick fans excommunicado <laughs> um it's the same idea which is why the 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 lesson behind these verses is what receive him back so whether it's the guy in 1 Corinthians if he has repented if he's like ah I realize now, I didn't know then, but now I see. She's my father's wife. I should not be sleeping with her. I'm sorry, guys. Receive him. Whether it's whoever was, because oh, I'm sorry. I want to submit back to apostolic authority. The idea and the application is still the same. That the punishment was sufficient. There is, you can overdo, <laughs> right? There is a way in the name of trying to, to, to take on the justice of God, you can overdo. It says the punishment is enough. Is enough. Why is it enough? Is it because of duration? Is it because of severity? No. The reason it's enough is because the person has repented. The person has has realized they are wrong and is ready to change. And that's the idea. We're going to talk about that but again, for for those of us that weren't here in our first teaching in First Corinthians, you might be like, "Ah, how can the church just kick people out? What kind of what kind of cult is that?" Read First Corinthians five when you have the chance. Listen to the teaching. But there were things I highlighted from that from that uh, from those verses, which was that it was a good thing. First of all, it was a good thing for the church, because like like um if there's one thing to know it's something pastor Iren always says a lot right we are more impressionable than we think we are a lot more influenced than we think we see it every day in fact it's a very common tactic in the media all they have to do is keep exposing you you don't have to agree but just keep exposing you and with each exposure what happens? Your tolerance rises. It's just a natural human response. That if something is inconveniencing you and you don't do something about it, you just adjust. So many examples. Some of you in your in your room as we are speaking, there is a light bulb in your room that is out. <laughs> but because Uncle Be and Auntie Boo is not there, because you've just you, you didn't change it when he went out and you've just kind of adjusted right you're like even when guests come you're like oh don't worry it doesn't work and they're like ah change it now oh, it's fine it's only when other people come in that you now realize that oh i'm actually adjusting to things or let's say there's a there's a way that your shower doesn't wash bro. it doesn't drain properly but you've gotten so used to it. and then a guest come like ah bro your shower doesn't you're like oh that uh, yeah that's how it is but you now start to realize, I shower every day. I'm used to it. I've learned how to manage this uncomfortable situation. It's the same thing with, let's say, even nasty smells, right? For whatever reason, your brain just numbs it eventually. So you're not focused on it. You're not focused on it. And it's the same thing we see and smoke detector battery. You, you even start to make music with it. So you're like ah. And you're like, why is your battery dipping? Like oh it, it didn't even occur to you anymore you've just gotten used to it you've just gotten used to it your car has a certain way you have to turn you say you say, no let me start it for you let me start it for you <laughs> you have to turn it then hold it for three seconds then turn it again like that's 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 how my car starts you've got to... <laughs> my TV remote exactly you say oh no this is uh, no don't worry that button does not work try it. do it this other way and, like just change it. But you've got human beings, if if inconvenience is not addressed, tolerance builds up. It's a, it's a principle of life. It's a principle of life. You just numb yourself to it so that you're not constantly being bothered. We see the same thing in the media. Oh, part one of a movie, they just suggest, you didn't, you didn't, but you just, whatever. Part two, you see, something part three they are doing something and with each part it's only getting worse but you're 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 just building tolerance and you might never and that's the that's what makes it sad is that you probably never agree that it's ideal so of course you would you would always agree that your light bulb needs to be changed or your tv remote needs to be fixed but you would never do anything about it you'd be fine with it being there and so what would start to happen is you just become numb. You're like, oh, that's how the movies are. Mm, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. And so when you see it in real life, this, the, the same reaction you should have had if you never got exposed in the first place, the same reaction God will expect you to have, which is to confront evil of any kind, it doesn't bother you. A very classic example, let me even just, its it's how common cohabiting is in pretty much every American movie the moment i like you you like me i'm moving in like it's wise it saves money it saves both of us time you can then it then sets the platform for you, you say oh you never really know a person until you live with them where did you learn that from <laughs> where did you learn that from and so think about it i remember then um when I think was it dc was saying oh superman is now has a male love interest and people were like how dare they <laughs> how dare they the world is getting worse but superman before his male love interest was sleeping with a child <laughs> with a person he wasn't married to louis lane nobody it didn't occur to anybody <laughs> to revolt how dare superman have sex. <laughs> think about it. it if if and it's something to still think about if it doesn't move you the same way it's not because one is worse than the other per se it's more because you've built up tolerance for one and you are just starting to build up tolerance for the other because i can guarantee you in the next 10 20 years if this goes unaddressed it's the same level you're like oh okay that's fine oh, okay whatever that's we know The same way I was saying heroes don't get married. To be, oh, heroes are pro same-sex marriages. It really doesn't matter. That's how it is. Right? That's the point. That's the point. That whatever is a thing of inconvenience, if you don't confront it or stop the stimuli, you're going to adapt to it. And Paul knew that all too well. If we did not address this guy, sleeping with his father's wife, if we pretend like everything is normal, the church's sensitivity to sin will drop drastically because all of a sudden, he's coming for a holy uh, love feast. He's coming for the Lord's Supper. He's coming for our meetings. And we're all smiling, knowing fully well what he's doing is wrong. What is happening? We are starting to tolerate sin. And Paul is like, the church of God cannot be a place where sin is tolerated therefore excommunication was the best thing the church could do for itself but not only that excommunication is the best thing the church could do for the person because if a method that drastic is not taken the person will never really realize that what they are doing is wrong and so it was even protect it was to protect the church but was also to protect the salvation of the sinner because all of a sudden, it becomes a test, a litmus test. Do you really love the Lord or not? Oh yeah, we've, we've kicked you out of the church for something wrong you are doing. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus enough to realize that what you were doing was wrong? Correct yourself and then we would welcome you back and say, oh yes, we've gained a brother back. But if we kick you out and you still don't repent, you still don't realize what you're doing is wrong, then it only goes to show that you are not part of us, you're not saved, and so it was the perfect response, actually, to conscious continual sin, is that it keeps the church, it safeguards the church, but not only that, it it verifies or it keeps people accountable to the call of salvation that they have made. But then, what Paul wants you to know is that it shouldn't be permanent. It shouldn't be permanent. Whatever punishment you are inflicting on sin, however you want to, because there are things way less than excommunication. Today, in modern churches, we have things like suspensions. We have things like, what else? I don't know. We all come from different churches. What other forms of church punishment, in quotes, are you aware of? We have, yeah. Suspension is the one I know of as a, as a, if you're a worker in the church and you mess up, or stuff like that but the idea is it's sh- there is a level it gets to that it is enough Otoge. <laughs> right and what is that level say you booky they use broom that suspension and yeah um not serving for some time you get yourself and even that is not is that get yourself back get your devotional life back build yourself up and then you can serve people again but booky which who is using broom to be to be too Jesus. Turn the tables of the of the time. Ta- we will flog you in this church. <laughs> That's scary. That's very scary. <laughs> Anyways, um, it says it is sufficient. It is sufficient. Right? The moment a person realizes what they've done is wrong, they are sorry for their actions. It says, It is sufficient. It says so that on the contrary, verse 7, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow if the person is repentant you've won back a brother if the person is repentant and you are still holding him accountable that's first of all that's not god but second of all you risk him falling so much into despair that he doesn't even believe he can be saved again the church is that powerful. Believers are that powerful. Be careful when next you condemn people. Be careful when next you're calling out people's flaws. You see, it's possible for him to be swallowed up. Swallowed up in sorrow. He's just de- He just feels that God can never use me. Let's say he, he had a call of God on his life. And God forbid he fell into sexual sin. And then the way the church will respond. Kick him out. Ne- you can never be a pastor in this church again. Ha ah. ha. And so, even that person is like, if the church has treated me like this, can God ever make anything out of my life? It's wrong. It's wrong. Because on some level, we all mess up. That's the truth. Of course, some are worse than others. Some are more more grievous. Some are more more, more lengthy than others. But we all mess up. And if we expect God to forgive us, it's hypocritical not to forgive other people and so Paul is telling the church if he's sorry for what he did forgive, comfort remember the word comfort from from chapter 1 call him near receive him back he says I I urge you therefore verse 8 reaffirm your love to him you forgive him you comfort him and you reaffirm your love. And so, in just these few verses, Paul is teaching us what conflict resolution ought to look like as believers. For some of you, <laughs> well, I will not drag you, at least not yet. But this is how it should look like when people are sorry for what they've done, forgive them. You're not God. Even God has forgiven them. Who are you? Why why do you take things to your chest? Do you know how much he hurt me? And you might be right. But God still calls you to forgive. Not only that. He calls you to comfort. Meaning you call them here. And then to reaffirm your love for them. And so... I I want you to, of course, if I was speaking to a church community, this is something that they have to learn to practice together. But even in your own personal life, think about how you apply this wisdom. First of all, there is a sense of learning to to judge the motives of people. Remember, the only reason the church will excommunicate in the first place is if it was conscious meaning intentional and continuous some of you need to be a lot kinder if you were the head of a church it doesn't matter whether it's intentional you are just going to kick them out in your own personal lives be kind recognize when things people do they didn't mean to hurt you because see a lot of people will hurt you in this life but most of them are not trying to it's just differences in personalities differences in character they are not actively they're not like how can i make your mother miserable i know i will take her milk from the fridge for some people they just they just struggle with boundaries like oh i just saw the milk in the fridge and i took it and it hurts you and rightfully so but before you you act on that hurt try and take a step back did this person intentionally mean this be kind enough to give people the benefit of the doubt. Especially as you start to get closer. Married people know what I'm talking about. There will be things, he said, don't take my ice cream, there will be things your husband, there will be things your wife will do. It's just because that's how they are. They weren't, they didn't wake up that morning and say, I will annoy my husband. Today, 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 I will annoy my husband. No. Oh, delight you, wow, you didn't invite me for your wedding. Congrats to you both! Happy married life. <laughs> they didn't wake up saying, "Today, today, I will annoy my wife." How will I annoy my wife? I would leave my my clothes out in the dry yet again. <laughs> that is how I. No, it's just they are just a bit more clumsy than you are, and you've taken it upon yourself. You say, this man decided to offend me. Calm down. You are not the center of the world. No, they did not. You are not, you are not. It's not. It's not about you. Calm down. And it's that you always notice that people who get hurt easily, they also have a very. I'm trying to be kind, but you, you all. Say I'm the Oh, O'Shea lines. God, when <laughs> they always personalize everything that happens in their life good or bad it's always about them it's something good happens say, ah, it's about me it's something bad happens oh it's about it's not really get out of your head of your it's not about you it's not about you and so be a bit kinder when someone does something that hurts you the first question to ask did they intentionally try to hurt me or was it was it was it something that they don't even know if it's something that was was, um, they don't know about, they say, yes, they try to. <laughs> then the first thing to do before you suck, before you start to get upset, some people don't even, they'll be angry. And then the guy does, the person doesn't even know. You say, oh, babe, oh, honey, oh, sweetheart, are you okay? You say, I'm fine. And you are you angry? And the guy, the girl does not even know. The friend does not know what has happened. <laughs> and you just explain, you say, you should have known how, my dear. How, Ayo, how? <laughs> how should they have known? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> See, there is bad behavior, but my point is be able to distinguish between action and motive. Action and motive, and that brings us to the next step. If you judge that their motives were not harmful before you just vex before you get angry it says detect- that is that is how that is what should go- actually that is what should go through your mind like always sit down before your emotions just catapult you into vex just calm down once you've dis- um, distinguished between between action and motive if the motive was not hurtful then before you get angry Learn to talk. Someone say, learn to talk. open your mouth. Open your mouth. Stop, stop assuming. Stop, stop just, you just put in your face. Open your mouth. Tell the person, oh, I did not like what you did. I know you probably didn't mean, mean <clears throat> Jesus Lord. I know you probably didn't mean to hurt me. But you did. What you did. I didn't like it. You're working with a co-worker. They do something they don't even know. Maybe they were just brought up in a very competitive every man for himself. And you're like it it felt like you were throwing me under the bus in this meeting. I didn't like it. Talk. Don't just go and rant your friends. Can you imagine what my co-worker said? That's how he is. Always thinking about calm down. You are too too angry. Calm down. Can you imagine what my friend did? The person doesn't even know. To them, it was a normal day. Calm down. Go to And that's why Jesus said, when you have ought with someone, He says, go to them first. Before you bring two or three. Before you just, before you rant. He says, go to them first. Let them know. Oh, what you did. I didn't like it it made me feel this kind of way and it was surprise. if you just those two if you can learn to distinguish between behavior and motive and you can learn to talk a lot of stressors in your life will die they will just go you would stop holding things to your chest everybody everybody is trying to annoy you from from the delivery man to the cab driver to the pilot to the hostess to who else? Everybody you meet is just trying to annoy you. It shows that it's you that has the problem. It's you that has the problem. It's you that has the problem. You said they should understand from my face. Uh, mind readers, Professor X. He said, from the judging by your wrinkle frowns on your forehead, I can tell that this is what I did. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Learn to talk. It would surprise you once you, start, they'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I made you feel this way. I'm sorry. Fight has ended. But no, you will say, I I give you three days. You are like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You will tell me my dream and you will tell me the interpretation. Uh-uh. <laughs> Why? Why are you so difficult? <laughs> Why are you so difficult? All right? You reach out i didn't i I didn't like what you did and then like oh i'm sorry i didn't know you felt that way i would i'm like i'll appreciate it if you try not to do this next time so now that's one then if they do it next time it now becomes easy because you've you've set down those expectations you're like oh but you we talked about so now you can now start to understand of course for many people especially people like best friends married couples all of that there will be re- repetitions and that's fine they will not become you in a day so be kind but remind me, like ah, but we talked about this <laughs> like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry and they, they they start to start to adjust right judge the motives of a person however if the motive was clearly harmful don't be say, this is where I come in. Don't be too quick to judge. Don't be too quick. Sometimes, even if the motive was clearly harmful, you still need to bring it up. That, ah, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Right? And so, if the person was intentionally trying to hurt you, that's then is slightly different. Not slightly, that's a very different situation. That's a very di- Yes, you share, but then, like we said, you might need to step back bit. Not put yourself in that position where they can yet again, intentionally hurt you. But my point is simple. Learn to discern the motives of people. In the church, it it wasn't people that were struggling with sex that were kicked out of the church. It wasn't people that were struggling with sin. It was the guy that said, this is my father's wife. I don't care what anybody has to say. I'm going to sleep with her. That was the person that got this the, the most severe of punishments. Of punishments. And so when it's intentional, confront but still be forgiven. When it's not intentional, discuss. Share your point of view. Share your point of view. Share your point of view. And in both scenarios, if the person ever comes to a place of genuine repentance. Learn to receive them. Don't be that person, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There is a sense in which there's wisdom. Of course, if if my friend stole money from me, I'm going to be very cautious in future financial dealings. But you can forgive people without holding sin over them. Without holding sin over them. Don't be that person like once you disrespect me, never again. That's not God. I hope you realize it might be you, but it's not God. Imagine if God told you, if you once once you disrespect, me? never again. We're we are gone. We are all gone. We're all gone. It's something we should always if just learn to ask yourself that question. If God treated me the way I treat people, where will I be? It's, that's the easiest way to know what you are doing wrong. If God treats me the way I treat people, where will I be? Where will I be? Where will I be? Your friend offended you. It caused a fight. The person is sorry. They've apologized. Boom. That's, you see, we can never be friends again. Hapa. You can do better. It's not God, it's not the church, and it should not be you. It should not be you. Learn to forgive. Learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. When people are genuinely sorry, learn to forgive them. In fact, many times before they are sorry, forgive them. Forgive in this context talks about the restoration of the relationship, but you forgive them. You forgive them you forgive them and once they come to you i'm I'm sorry should not have done this i hurt you i'm so sorry find a place in your heart it's not easy it's a lot that's the thing with teaching and preaching it's easy to say what you should do i acknowledge it's hard some people have been hurt in 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 horrible ways it's a fear men fear women someone you were dating for five years has been you found out that three out of those years You were just a side chick. That's hurtful. Please, you don't have to marry that person. But you can at least forgive. You can at least forgive. You can at least forgive. Someone has been asking you for money. You've even given to the point where you borrowed to give only to find out that they were using it to buy crypto. (laughs) Please be hurt. You should be hurt. You should be hurt. That clearly seems, There's the motive is clear. But at least forgive. You might never borrow that person money again. Unless maybe it's a genuine need. But at least, no, 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 it's not personal. I'm just giving (laughs) it. But at least forgive. At least forgive. 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 Learn not to hold. Hold people's actions against them. You are like God, you are a child, it literally says, you are, you are, you are a child of God. It says, dearly beloved, walk in love for God's love. All right. So it says, for to this end, I wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things, right? So if you do what I say, then you are obedient children of God. So it's both, it's both advice as well as it is instruction. If this guy is sorry, forgive him. Comfort him and reaffirm your love. For a lot of married people, (laughs) those three words, let it be in your conflict resolution strategy. Whenever we apologize, whenever we hurt each other, I will forgive you. I will comfort you. I mean I'll call you near and I will reaffirm my love for you. Don't stop at forgiving comfort meaning like it's it's okay it's okay i won't hold it over you that's what comfort is and then you reaffirm your love. that to prove to you that i've forgiven you i would reaffirm my love. (laughs) as in i'm speaking from my decades of marital experience glory to god this is how my wife and i have done it right this is how we've always done it Oh my gosh. Um, You forgive, you comfort, and you reaffirm your love. Damn am I saying the truth? (laughs) Anyways, it goes on in verse 10. It says, now whom you forgive. Thank you very much. Can you see? From one married person to another, we know we we are saying the truth. We know this is how to make marriage work. Thank you, Dami, for having my back. <laughs> it says in verse 10, Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. <laughs> I forgive you for delight. <laughs> for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And so Paul is just sharing the whole idea of there's no distance in the spirit. If you forgive him, I forgive him. Whatever you all do, I am I, part. I have forgiven him for your sakes. And then verse 11, very important. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now we use this verse a lot. And it's a good verse to remind yourself that if you are ignorant of the devices of the devil, he will take advantage of you. It's, that's, that is just how it goes. And so we need to be aware through the teaching of the word through holding each other accountable. How does the devil work? He's not as creative, in quotes, as you think. It's usually the same same set of tricks. Think about the very same thing he told Adam. It's the same thing he told Jesus thousands of years later. He's not as creative as you think. It's the same thing he tells you. Yes, he may be very compelling. Yes, he may sit with things to be very tempting, but. At the end of the day, it's the same thing. He doesn't have more than two iPads and two phones. (laughs) Those are his devices, right? And maybe a laptop. Very dry joke. But Paul is saying that we need to be aware of how the devil operates if we are to ensure that he doesn't take advantage of us. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, he lets us know one of the ways the devil operates, which is what? By... By giving us that sense of tolerance for sin. And so one of the first things the devil was trying to do was to make the church comfortable with someone who was continually, consciously walking in sin. So that's one area. And Paul called them out. says, don't give the devil a chance. Kick this guy out of the church. But now on the flip side, it's like he has repented. He's sorry for what he has done if we don't forgive him, the devil once again will take advantage of us. How? He's going to make us cold. He's going to make us condemning. Imagine an entire church does not know how to forgive. What kind of message does that pass on to the world when the very message of the gospel is forgiveness of sins? And so it becomes a thing of balance. On one side, a lack of uh, um, tolerance for sin Is a work of the devil. But then, forgiveness, um, being unwilling to forgive in the face of repentance is also a strategy of the devil. And we can see that in our own personal lives. The moment you find out that you're becoming complacent, you're not praying every day. You're, 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 You're not as fervent. You're not as quick to turn off that YouTube video as you once were. Check it. That you're giving the devil a foothold, but on the other hand, if you are given to condemnation, you mess up once. You are done. You are you are you are you are broken for the whole week. You can't pray, you can't study, you can't enjoy the fellowship of the saints. It's, as, it's also just as bad. It's also another work of the devil. Think about it. On either end, you're giving the devil a foothold. Complacency. Or excessive condemnation. And so, as a church, as a community in your life, let that be your watchword. The devil will not take advantage of me, for I am not ignorant of his devices. As a church, tolerance for sin, failure to hold each other accountable, failure to forgive, you are starting to give the devil a foothold in your community, in your life, malice grudges complacency unforgiveness you're giving the devil a chance and so be alert if you are to forgive someone forgive them for their sakes as well as yours don't be complacent with sin in the life of others or in your own life as well it is "Lest satan will take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of its devices all right verse 12 let's start to wrap up this chapter it says furthermore when i came so he's he's going back to remember where we ended last week he's talking about his change of plans i was supposed to come and then go to macedonia and then come back to you and then go to judea however i didn't come so that it will not be an awkward visitation then he goes on and it says furthermore when i came to us to preach christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the lord I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, you might read past this and not know what Paul is saying, but in these two verses, a very, very beautiful principle of faith is here. What do I mean? So, historical context again, the idea was that Titus was the one that took the letter and we're going to see that in the next couple chapters, right? Because Titus brought good news back to Paul. But Titus was the one that took the letter, the painful letter to the uh, Corinthian church after the visit or before the visit. We don't know. Most likely after, actually. Um, And Paul had not heard back from Titus. So think about that. Paul had a very painful encounter with the Corinthian church. He writes another letter. He sends Titus to deliver it. He hasn't heard back from Titus. And so in Paul's mind, He doesn't know the state of their relationship. He doesn't know how things are between him and the Corinthian church. You're like, "Eh? what's the big deal? Look at verse 12. So what Paul is saying is, he got to a city, Troas, and there was a door. There was a door of opportunity to preach. Meaning he got there and he's like, wow, these people's hearts are ready. The resources are there everything is set for ministry Mm. but just because of the strained relationship between me and the corinthians i didn't stay in trust i left that window of opportunity think about that and i went to macedonia to go and meet with titus it was more important that i knew the state of our relationship than for me to stay and keep preaching the gospel that's huge that's huge. That's very huge. So it's it's that I and you can start to see Paul's priorities. Some of you you are f- actively fighting to people, and you are you feel so comfortable praying. You are a Is <laughs> this is literally what Jesus was saying? If you you are about to give a sacrifice and you remember that someone has all he says, leave that sacrifice. Go and make up for your wrong, and then you can come back. You have issues with people you are actively fighting and still you are, you are in devotion and your heart is settled. How? How? I remember one day, very recently actually, I had a bit of a disagreement with a friend and I woke up. First of all, usually I, that's one reason I don't like drama because it bothers me a lot. For some people, they sleep it off. For me, I can't sleep. Right? And so, the person was in Nigeria. So, I woke up regular time to pray i couldn't pray i had to go and call the person i'm like bro this thing you did it made me feel this way we had to we we're there for an hour that was my prayer time we settled it and then i went to pray and then i went to pray exactly like I, emotional issues they are very draining i hate them so much <laughs> they are so, i don't like fights it's so draining so draining so people are like i don't i don't see that I like problem always. (laughs) I'm not a man of peace. (laughs) But look at how big a deal it was in Paul's priority that making sure his relationship with the Corinthian church was fine was more important than an opportunity to preach the gospel. Have you ever... Maybe for some of this is the first time you're seeing that in this book. That's huge. It shows how Paul thinks about things and ideally how believers... Of course, the Grand church will be ashamed of themselves. Like, see, because of our pettiness, some people did not hear the gospel. Because of our pettiness, Paul could not rest. Paul had to leave a good work to come and settle, to come and to come and um, resolve issues with us. It's embarrassing. But in Paul's heart, it's like this is what it is. And the only reason you might not get this is because maybe somewhere in your mind, you've built a false idea of Christianity. You fail to realize that following God, John literally, John says it best. You can't, like, you claim to love a God you don't see, but you don't love the people that you see. He says, no, how we tell that you love a God you can't see is not by... And yes, it's, it's, it, they are valid expressions of love. Don't get me wrong. Your worship, your singing, your commitment to church, they are valid expressions of love for God. But he says, we'll see it in your love for people. So yes, you are the first person to come to church, last person to go. You are giving all your money. But someone offends you. That's the end of the relationship. There's a problem. And it's bigger than you think. If for Paul, it was more important... Than ministry, it shows that it's bigger than you think. You're like, oh, they'll be fine. Let me serve God. Your your priorities are wrong. If you are fighting anybody, I beg you, after today's meeting, just just call. And say, ah, bro, I've learned. Sis, honey, <laughs> babe, whatever I want. Say, I've learned. Um, let's 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 resolve this. Of course, there is a sense in which, like Jesus says, if the person is unresponsive, you bring people to try and. If still unresponsive, if you guys are under the same church authority or you appeal to church authority, if they're still unresponsive, you've done all you can. Move on. But at least don't don't be comfortable, knowing that there are grudges, there are fights, there are hit, and you are now coming to form. Uh, I I Lord, I give you my. heart. You're not giving him your heart, though. <laughs> you have your heart is still fighting with somebody. But this is a huge, huge, huge part of this letter and it's many times it goes unnoticed he's like i got to trust there was a there was a door of opportunity meaning i could have stayed here and done good work for the gospel but just because of you guys i was not at rest i had to leave trust to go to macedonia so i could meet with titus and hear how you guys were doing hear how you guys were doing that's big that's big it shows that your love work comes first before your acclaimed expressions in ministry. Are you walking in love? And that's why Paul would say what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. If I give all my body to be burned and I have no love, it profits me nothing. If I sell all I have, I don't love wastes. My friends. I would say zero, <laughs> just zero. If I preach every Saturday, I'm out on evangelism. But I can't even maintain healthy relationships with the people closest to me. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Start to see things from that perspective. My personal work with people says a lot more about my work with God than perhaps any part of my life. So evaluate it. Check yourself. Check yourself. Check yourself. All right. Let's start to round up. I have said that twice. It's usually the third time. Whenever a pastor is a preacher, it's the first, second, and the third time. You now know that I'll actually round up. <laughs> Verse 14. He says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us, it diffuses or diffuses, whichever part of English you're from, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place thanks be to god who leads us always in triumph in christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place so paul is playing on a very very common um roman idea which is the triumphal procession and processions whenever and perhaps not restricted to the romans whenever a king just wins a battle Or something he walks into the city on a it's a it's a triumphant parade and on the parade there's him and the people that fought in the war and then the captives of war as well the captives of war and so the idea and then usually there'll be flowers and leaves and incense burning and so the triumphal the triumphal procession is marked with incense now, incense on its own is sweet, just as the gospel is sweet. However, incense means when the victors are smelling incense, it means something completely different than when the captives <laughs> are smelling incense. All right. So as the people are celebrating, hey, our king has won and you are going. The victors are like, yes, the smell of incense on their on their trip back home, the smell of we're back home, our victory is solid. We are victorious. But for the captives, it's a smell of, ah, we are, it's time to die. They've brought us here to shame us, to kill us. And so Paul is playing on that idea that the very same incense smells different to those that are that are victors and to those that are captives. And he likens the gospel to that. He says, through us, the fragrance of the gospel, everywhere we go, the fragrance of the gospel is being being put out. He then says, for we are to God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, right? So those who are being saved, that's those who believe the gospel, those who are perishing, those who reject the gospel. And that's the idea that to one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. For those who reject the gospel, for those who hate the gospel, every time these Christians come it's like you are here to remind me of sin you're here to condemn me you're here to tell me about hell it's an aroma of death for those who are being saved for those who believe the gospel it's an aroma of life oh my god i'm a sinner jesus died for me it's good news and so paul is simply talking about how the same gospel to one person is disgusting is only a reminder of sin it's very repulsive and to yet another It's the best thing since sliced bread, or for some of you, since fried plantain, (laughs) right? That's the idea. And he then says, who is sufficient for these things? He's reflecting that it's such a big deal. First of all, he's saying everywhere we go, God is making the gospel known through us. Can you say that? This is not necessarily about a call to ministry. This is representing Christ wherever you go. We can see that in Acts chapter 8. Acts 8 from verses 4 to 5. It says, well, we can start from verse 3. As for Saul, okay, I'll explain that. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They were not elders. They were not preachers. They were not apostles acts 8 from verse 3 to 5 they were just believers and because they were moving around it says those who were scattered went everywhere reaching the word that's the idea that it doesn't matter whether or not you have a call to pulpit ministry or not let christ be seen be heard be known through you that wherever you go before you say god you want me to start a walk here or not fine you should pray that but before yes wherever you go people should just know jesus because they met you we see verse 5 says then philip went down to the city of samaria and preached christ to them so philip was a deacon he was an administrative help in the church no spiritual in, in that sense responsibility over the people but just like everyone else things were hard he jackpoted and he got there and said, ah, these people don't know Jesus. And he just started preaching. And he the entire city took a turn for the gospel. That is the same mindset we should have. It's not until God says, I'm sending. Mm-mm. Wherever you go, in your class, in school, at work, in your city, go everywhere, like the, the, the early church, preaching the word. And so Paul is drawing on that idea in 2 Corinthians 2. So you said I should re-explain it. What I was saying was... um. Give me a second. Yeah, um, that when a a a procession is going forth, there is the smell of incense, right? And the smell of incense means different things to different people. For the winners, it's the smell of victory. For the losers, is the smell of death, <laughs> right? And so he's, he's using that analogy to explain the gospel, that wherever we go, the gospel is preached and people perceive it differently. To those who love God and love his word, it is a message of life. It's like, where have you been? Home? I've been waiting for this. To those who, like Jesus said, loved the darkness more than they loved the light. It's a message of death, leading to death. And so, Paul is, is he's simply acknowledging that it is a big deal to represent Christ because the eternal destinies of people are at stake. The eternal destinies of people are at stake, so it's a very big deal. And that's why he now says, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, meaning corrupting the message for gain, for reputation, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. This should be the testimony of every believer that I will not corrupt the message due to the promise of wealth or reputation. I will not corrupt the message because it's easier for people. I will not water down the truth just to make it a bit more accessible. Why? Because I am literally diffusing the fragrance of God. And so it matters what I say because it is literally life or death life or death life or death so this is a clear job yet again to false teachers remember the distinction i made between false teachers and false teachings for 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 false teachers it's not a matter of
1: ignorance
0: false teachers are people who willingly distort the message of christ for their own personal gains now there might be sincere teachers of the word that still have things to learn and so some of their teachings might need work. But they're not. This is, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about motive. And before you start saying, Oh, I'm not a false teacher. I'm not a false teacher. This is an instruction to guard your heart. The moment you start thinking, "Ah, do people like it if I, if I talk about this? And so you talk about that more than other parts of the Bible. That's where it starts. The moment you start saying, Ah, people will not take it well if I say this. Then you omit that part of your message. That's where it starts. Pretty much the moment where the opinions of men start to have a stronger hold in your mind than the opinions of God. Check it. Check it. Check it. It says we are not as so many, meaning Paul was the minority. (laughs) More people than not distort the message of Christ for their own personal safety, reputation, or gain. And so he's, he's just talking about his responsibility as a minister of the gospel. How serious of a work it is. How serious of a work it is. Oh yeah, so that tailoring the message to fit where the people are, are has nothing to do with distorting the message. But you need to be honest. What do you mean by tailoring? Are you removing things that are true, or are you? The goal is to lead them to salvation, right? You can answer so with Paul is ministering to Jews. He would emphasize the scriptures. He would emphasize the Old Testament, He would emphasize their fathers. if Paul is ministering to Gentiles, he would emphasize common sense, He would emphasize general revelation. That is not what we're talking about. Neither are true. And um, neither are wrong are, are false, rather? He's not teaching anything false. He's not distorting the message. It's not motivated by people. It's motivated by God. It's kind of like the same thing we talked about last week. What is the goal? If the goal ultimately is the salvation of men, your heart is probably in the right place. But if your goal is to be liked, if your goal is to be accepted, if your goal is to be celebrated, eventually it will tell in your message, it's just a matter of time. So no, I'm not talking about tailoring. Paul tailored his message to different crowds. We should as well, it's wisdom. Um, This is about intentionally omitting, refusing to emphasize, and it's a motive thing. It's because you are scared of ridicule, it's not about them. It's about you. You're scared of ridicule. You're scared of shame. You're scared you won't be liked. It's not about them. So no, that's a different thing altogether. But anyways, that's, that's, I think that's a good place. We actually finished chapter to thank God. But that's a good place to stop. And just by way of summary, um, I want you to think about, I hope some things have stuck out to you, whether it's about your own personal work with God, finding that balance between complacency and, and self-condemnation. But then the same thing, if you expect that from God, then you, might, you should at least be humble enough to give it to others. Learning to forgive. Learning to be patient enough to ask, why did they do this? Don't get so caught up in what they did. Learn to ask, why did they do this? Maybe they weren't as ill-meaning as you think they were. Learning to forgive. And then, finally, we talked about the idea that everywhere we go christ should be known through us and because it's a matter of death and life it's a big deal it's a big deal amen amen i hope you've been blessed today i hope you've learned something or you've been reminded of something before we end any questions from today's teaching for many of you i think the biggest uh The biggest shocker is is Paul's actions in the place of trust. And it's good. If you never knew that before, that's why you come for Bible studies. Momian, please ask your question.
1: I'm I'm
0: sort of confused um, with this trust thing. So, um, I'm trying to do the whole geography in my brain Mm. and trying to understand the timeline. So, um, Paul, he... So he visited Thras on his way to Macedonia or yes. Like, so how did he get to Corinth in between? Is he didn't. Corinth in So no, so remember from last week he said I I was meant to go to Corinth then Macedonia and then come back to Corinth then Jerusalem. But I didn't go to Corinth because I didn't want it to be yet another This is he has already visited Corinth before all of this, right? For the painful visit this is this would have been his third time coming so he's saying rather than going to Corinth I went through Troas to Macedonia and now he's writing from perhaps from Macedonia that I hope to come to you and then go to Jerusalem does that make sense okay because as he said I have no peace of mind if he had no peace of mind if I hmm. just go to Corinth now <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't mind me. That was just me thinking. <laughs> I like it. we live in a world where communication is so easy. It's like, why not just just go, just call them? But apparently it made more sense to find out because if you went straight to Corinth, you would have missed Titus. He wouldn't know what Titus has said, how they will respond. He wouldn't know how well, to come. True. Right? Yeah, because Titus has already gone, sent a letter. He hasn't mm-hmm. gotten any response. It's kind of like someone left you on read. You don't just keep sending all that message. At least wait to. Yeah, the person so, yeah. reply, and okay. then you can send another message. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and so, that was then. So communication it's not like they can call the person to
0: say where are you. Exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. So, him not seeing as like, ah, is anything wrong? Is Titus ah did they, they beat Titus? <laughs> what is going on? Let me go and hear from Titus first, and then I would know how to receive these people. So yeah, very good question by the way. It's one of those examples of how our worlds are very different. So very
1: good question. Um, Dammy, please go ahead. Yeah, I think it's. Um, thank you, Sadine. I think it's still on the tr- one of one of the questions on Troas um, mm. stuff. So I looked at the like, tried to look at the map, mm. see where Troas is, Corinth is. I was just thinking, like, the fact that it says that the door was opened by the Lord, <laughs> like, shouldn't that be like, um, I don't know, <laughs> like, why why is the uh, unrest in the spirits greater such that? At least preach one day, two days, then <laughs> then, Get you same, then you go and <laughs> then you probably call for like a brother to come and <laughs> disciple them the more or something. Or at least you can co- go and come back. Like I don't, I don't mm. know. It. So mm. I think that's like one thing. Um, <laughs> like, where if like the Lord is asking you to do something, and maybe you're like trying to like reconcile a relationship and stuff, mm. is it? Like literally, so like the, for instance, the, the scripture where it says that if you're in the temple and you're about to give your offering sacrifices, like is it it's very strict that leave the service, like <laughs> go back home, <laughs> yeah, go back home, reconcile yeah. Yeah. the matter. Or you yeah. can just like do the matter. I mean, like God's word, maybe like, um, enjoy service or finish service, yeah. then go back home and reconcile. Yeah. Like your heart is there. Yeah. Ish. That's like first question. Yeah. Um, then second question, I think we probably addressed it before, but I'm just wondering, like, how do you kick someone out of the church with love? Mm. Um, like, and I also like, because you you to get to a point where you reconcile them back. So do you keep them at arm's length that mm. um, just hang around? Or I don't know, you are still yeah. out of the church. Yeah. And yeah, so.
0: That's a very question. good questions. I'll start with the easier one, which is the second one. So church then was very different from church now. Right for them, your church was your social, religious identity. Remember these guys ate together. That's a big deal in the ancient world. Eating with someone is a sign of acceptance, approval and fellowship. Um, and so these guys lived together, met every day. They did life together. They were each other's friends. They were each other's family and they fellowship together. And so excommunication was a very big deal because it means we are not eating with you. We are not identified. go and find new friends. We are not going to associate with you. So how did people get kicked out of the church? By being kicked out. They literally tell them, you are, um, what you are doing is wrong. If you don't change, we can't call you a brother. You can't, we can't eat with you. We can't identify with you. We don't want to see you in our gatherings. And so it's it's literally the ball is in your court. A lot of people don't realize it's not a thing. It's not as much as a punishment as it is giving the person a choice. It's like the ball is in your court. Are you going to keep sleeping with your father's wife? If so, we don't want to have anything to do with you. But if you're not, fine. That's the idea, right? It's more a choice. What you're doing is sin. Are you going to continue in sin? If so, we can't associate with you. But then if not, and so once if first of all for a person to have an ex think I, I think the bigger question should not even be why the church excommunicate people it's that how do people even get excruciate? How can people that claim to be a believer your church family is telling you stop this thing you are doing it's wrong and you say no I don't care it's more on a thing on them than the church it's like I don't care about your fellowship I will continue sleeping with my father's wife I don't care right that's what that's that's the ex it's a severe, remember this was the highest level. Of punishment in today's world it's the same thing it's like someone is stealing money from the office and is proud about it I mean, like stop stealing money from your office and like i'm not going to stop <laughs> i don't care so it's you making the choice to to more if anything it's you making that choice to not do life with your church your church is just being firm on their standards and you're saying i can't i can't be a part of this i can't be a part of this and so they gave you a choice and so the way people were restored is that they themselves many times will come back to the church and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not doing this anymore." They'll come back to the church elders, and church elders will examine if the claims are valid. We'll take you back in, right? It was more a, a dealing with sin as opposed to it just you did wrong, so we are punishing you. Mm-mm. Usually, excommunication at the moment of happening, the person was still acting in sin, and it's like we've begged you, we've we've preached to you, we've 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 taught you the word. Jesus Jesus died so that you won't do this. And you're like, I don't care. That's a scary person. That's why it's like, are you even saved? Please don't don't come for our meetings. But the moment you're like, oh, ah, I went out of hand. I shouldn't have been doing this. And blah, 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 all of that. It's like, oh, welcome back. Welcome back. But the second question. So um, the idea there, like Momiana also said, um, it's not as though Paul did not stay in trust at all. He probably did spend, again, remember, this is not plain, it's not stopover, it's not layover, it's not uh, bus rides. Paul would have probably stayed in Trust for a while, like maybe a couple days, but then how did he think about it? How would you know a door was opened for you? It's by the response. So he was already seeing good fruits, but he had to put it on hold. He had to put it on hold. Now your question is valid and we don't know. Maybe like mommy answers, if you probably read the book of Acts, there might be more clarity. He could have easily sent someone there. We don't know. He could have come back. I don't know if he did. He could have. More likely, he could have sent someone there. What we do have is that he had started. He went there. He saw positive response, but he could not stay to develop. Remember, staying to develop for Paul is a couple months. It's not weeks, right? It's months. It's years to build these people but he's like i can't do this now it's more important i keep on going so he probably could have sent someone we don't know but it's a very good question i don't think like you said i don't think the heart of a of an apostle of an evangelist will just abandon people that want to be saved right but it's it's more that he could not stay there he could not stay there. And so when you say a door was opened to me by the Lord, it's a very, very beautiful point because it's not, <laughs> we read this and the, the very thing we we think it's is that, okay, so God is saying I should stay here. Those are two different things. When we say by the Lord, what does that mean? That because of God, these people were open. These people were willing. The question you should be asking, is it possible for a door to be opened by the Lord, but then there's still something else he's asking me to do? Personal experience often says yes. (laughs) Right? Um, So for instance, I I remember reading this book by Jim and uh, I can't remember the wife's name, Elliot. uh, And I mean, finding a partner that loves the Lord, wants to do ministry with you. It's a gift from God. It's you literally Paul, Jim would say, this was a gift from the Lord. But he could not marry her because he had to first go for missionary work. And so it's not strange for you to have opportunities from God. But don't equate that to meaning God wants you to do everything now. Do Every, you get like, because I got here people's hearts are receptive people's hearts are open doesn't necessar- that first of all that is the working of God I, I want you to understand that but doesn't necessarily mean that that now means all things God has called me to do will suffer because of this one thing and so putting the answer together even when Jesus was speaking of course Jesus used a lot of narration that maybe doesn't have to be taken literal, he, it was more the heart behind the message. So for instance, when he says if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek, if someone says carry it for one mile, go, he's being very graphic, why? It's the message he's passing across, it's the message he's saying, don't be someone that is given to vengeance, that's the message, that's the message, it doesn't necessarily mean that if someone slaps you, say, ah bro, you missed a spot, <laughs> no. He's using very extreme examples to show you what kind of heart you should have. And so it's the same thing he was doing there. The emphasis is priority. Don't be a hypocrite that you prioritize your service to God, right? At the expense of your service to to people around you. That's there. It's a sense of priority that I cannot claim to be in good relationship with God if i'm not in good relationship with people and so it doesn't necessarily mean that you are in a a meeting someone is angry at you you say ah i have to leave this i have to drive to yanopaja now i have to drive fly to texas to resolve it not necessarily what jesus is saying is live with a heart that realizes that my relationship with my brother is just as important or is perhaps a bigger indicator than my acts of service to god it's a thing of priority a thing of how you view your conduct and so for paul it's the same thing my relationship with this corinthian church i will not for like yes the work at trust is budding there's room here there's 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 a work that can happen here but i would not focus on that work at the expense of my relationship with the corinthian church so it's a thing of priority right it's not it doesn't mean that so as i was speaking someone would just leave the zoom call say why i need to call my father <laughs> You can wait till the end of the teaching but it's a heart put po- it's a heart posture where you start to realize that my walk my my relationship with people is perhaps the biggest indicator of my relationship with God um I hope that answers your questions yes yes okay. all right thank you very good question Damn, you will get a word for uh, for question asking but please continue I love them I love them all them all every time um so yes I guess we'll Pause on that. If you have any other questions from today, from Bible study in general, as always, just send me a text. I will get back to you in two or three business days. One to three business days. <laughs> ask Mommy Ann. IBK, you have a question. All right, go ahead. Is it from today's teaching, IBK? Okay, you'd ask after. All right, good. So I would. Sh- share, well, let's pray. I'll share my screen, we'll take the benediction and then we call it a day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the second chapter of 2 Corinthians. Thank you for all that we've learned. Whether it's learning not to to wallow in grief, learning not to give ourselves to complacency, being discerning enough to see the activity of the devil, learning to be more forgiving, learning to, to, to walk in love, learning to take the call we've we've received to represent you seriously and i pray that for everyone here and everyone who's who will listen to this teaching whatever aspects of our lives that we need to work on as a response to this teaching there is grace by your spirit in jesus name amen 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 all right i would share my screen Feel free to unmute yourself as we take the benediction. So graciously um, prepared for us by Buki and Unmute yourselves. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am an intelligent student, student and doer of, of the word.
1: I am a teacher, of the, am teacher of the word.
0: The word is, the word? is profitable you know for, for my growth. That's by the word... Good.
1: I am corrected corrected. by the word. I'm trained in righteousness. I'm trained in righteousness. In the
0: word, my My spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you all. It's always, 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 always an amazing time. Um, I would see you next week, Saturday, same time um, as we go into chapter three. Chapter three is going to be beautiful, right? We're talking about... Um, the glory of the law and the glory of the new testament so there's a lot to learn um, yeah there is a lot to learn so come ready